take this. Rod, thank you so much for helping us again today. Rod drives down from Frankfurt, is that right? Yes. Yeah, of course, if you live in Frankfurt, you're dreaming already of a chance to come to Bowling Green, especially Woodburn. Uh, but uh, God bless you, Rod. We know it's, it's a long drive for you. Open your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, this is the final message in the series entitled, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Matt Betts, man, he just preached it so well today. I loved what he was saying about the word uh, for disobedience in that story about Saul and how the word means to step over and how God had become so small in Saul's life that he just stepped over God to bow before other people. And that's exactly what we do when people are big and God is small. Uh, we replace God in our lives with people and we begin to conform ourselves to please them instead of trying to conform ourselves to please God. Uh, God must be bigger. First Corinthians chapter 9. When I first realized that this was a, uh, a series that, that the Lord wanted me to preach, this was the passage that I struggled with because it seems to unravel everything that the other passages work so hard to bring together, this passage. This is a passage where Paul says, I try to be all things to all people. And, and again, it's the passage that makes you go, wait, whoa, ho, you know, maybe there's something here, and there is, and it's really worth looking at. This particular passage is, is, is interesting and amazing and heartbreaking because if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll realize that Paul is struggling with very, very strong critics. People who really, they're not just offering any kind of constructive criticism. It's not constructive at all. They malign his ministry. They degrade his character. They attack him. They try to undo what God is doing in his, in his ministry. Uh, uh, Paul has some very, very devoted the devoted enemies, uh, enemies of his and of, of the gospel. And in this particular passage, Paul is actually talking about his struggle with those who constantly criticize him. Let me just ask you, have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever had people who criticize you very harshly? Show of hands, anybody ever experienced that? Uh, many of us have. What's that like? You don't have to tell me any stories, but what is it like to have people who are tearing you down, who are criticizing you, who are degrading your character? What's that do to us? Yeah, it discourages us. The dream says it makes us just want to give up with whatever we're doing. What would you say, Janice? Yeah, that, that, that voice just tells us that we're no good, uh, that, that, that you know, somehow the critics must be right and we must be all wrong. Yeah, I'm no good. What else? So how do we respond? How do we overcome this? And, and this is what we learn here from Paul. Honestly, for those of us who really like to please people, those of us who are uh, so very attuned to other people's opinions, it can be a devastating thing when people attack us in the way that Paul is attacked. But this is exactly why this passage is such a declaration of freedom. Now, again, you're going to have to really think through this and dig deep with me because... Uh, what Paul is saying is exactly what he's saying, but he's also not saying what you think he's saying, and that's what makes God's word so uh, amazing and liberating for our lives. I'm going to start right at verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. This verse right here, 19, is the one that's going to blow your minds, so get ready. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. 
When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to be all things to all people. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Okay, if, if we can do that much, we're good. Why do we usually think negatively of somebody who tries to be all things to all people? When we use that phrase, we're usually not paying somebody a compliment, but that phrase comes from this passage, all things to all people. Why is that usually a negative quality in our minds? Yeah, we think that a person who changes all the time, depending on the group that they're with, that they have no convictions, no core, therefore they're just changeable, not consistent. Uh, they just become like whoever they're with, and we don't consider that a positive quality. What else? All things to all people. Yeah, and that's important. Brenda points out that usually the person who's uh, becoming something different when they're with you, they're doing that to use people. They have their own motives. They have uh, their own reasons for doing things. They, they're buttering you up for their reasons, not for your reasons. All things to all people. Why else is that typically negative? Because you can't do it. Yeah. It's a recipe for a very, very unhappy life. You can't please all the people all the time. Yeah. So, so actually you're setting yourself up for tremendous frustration. So when Paul says, I try to be all things to all people, that's not what he's talking about. Everything you and I just described, that's not what he's saying. So what's he saying? How is what Paul is describing not like that negative quality we just described? Yeah, Jonia, what do you say? Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Paul does this from a position of strength, from a position of, of strength. He is not afraid of people. He is not one who changes the way he is with people in, in order to please them, in order to gain a good opinion. Because if that's his goal, he's not doing that very well. He has a lot of people who stay unhappy with him. Understand that? But Paul has this incredible ability to endure all of the criticism. He does not give up. He does not change at all his inner core. Now, we said that our suspicion is somebody who's always changing around people, that they lack something, convictions on the inside. But that's not Paul. His convictions are rock solid. He does this from a position of strength, not need, not weakness, at least not his own. Yeah. What else? What's different about the way Paul says, I try to be all things to all people? Yeah, Marla. Yeah, he is trying to meet people where they are. Find common ground, the New Living Translation says. Yeah. No, why is he doing this? Mom. Yeah, if he has an ulterior motive, and I don't, I don't know if I call it ulterior because he is upfront about this. 
it's about the gospel. It's always about the gospel. Why does he do this? I try to be all things to all people because I find that when people like you, you're just happier. You know, you, if, if people owe you favors, they'll do things for you. Is this what Paul's saying? No. I try to be all things to all people so that I can win some. Yeah. Everything for Paul, everything is all about the gospel. Let's go back to verse 19. Even though I am a free man with no master. This goes back to what Joan Neal said about Paul's from a position of strength. I am a free man with no master. And you may recall earlier in, in this sermon series, I've talked about how we typically become a slave to whatever or whomever it is that we think can supply what we need. So if what you need is approval, if what you need is for people to like you, then you will turn to people and they become the focus of your life. You become a slave to them because you think that they have what, what you desire, what you most desperately need. We always become a slave to whoever, whatever it is we think can supply what we most desperately want. Paul says, I'm not a slave to anyone. I have no master. I am free. So, so that's very, very important. Understand his incredible freedom, his incredible strength. Where does that come from? Say it. Yeah, absolutely. It comes from Christ. It comes from the gospel. It comes from the gospel. It is the gospel, the good news of what God has done for you in Christ. That's what sets you free. That's what makes God bigger in your life and people smaller. When you understand that everything that your soul needs is found in Christ, it's found in the message of the gospel, and this is what Paul has discovered. All of his needs, everything is satisfied in Christ. There is not anything that is left over that people can supply for him. That's why he can say, I I'm free. No one controls me. No one, no person, no group of people in, in my life have the power to tell me how to think, feel, and what to do. You understand? And that's freedom. Now, many of us live lives of, of slavery to other people. We let other people tell us what we're going to think and how we're going to feel and what we're going to do. And we do that because people are too big and God is too small in our lives. So Paul says, I'm a free man with no master. I'm a slave to nobody. But, next part, I, I make myself, I've become a slave to everybody. Okay, is he a slave or is he not a slave? Is he serving people or is he not serving people? He says he's not, then he says he is. Is he? Is he? Yeah, it's a choice. It's, it's a voluntary. Remember, it's from a position of strength. Nobody controls him. Nobody makes him do these things. All of this is from a position of strength. But Paul says, I, I choose. I, I make a choice, and I make myself a servant, a slave to everybody. To Taylor, what were you going to say? Absolutely. He's a servant of God's. Uh, he, he serves God. And, and therefore, as God's servant, he, he turns around with God's heart to serve people. Yeah. So what's it mean to be a slave to everybody? A slave to everybody. This, of course, will make you a, a sort of a human doormat. Right? Because you're everybody's slave. So if something needs to be done, you need to be the first one up to jump and do it because you're kind of everybody's slave. And by the way, my car needs washing. 
Yeah, you understand? I mean, you're, you're, you're the human slave. You're, you're the doormat. So you've got to do everything that everybody wants you to do. And so if the phone rings and somebody has your request, you just always say yes. Is this what Paul's talking about? I'm a slave to everybody. Slave to everybody. I have to cook all the meals. I'm the last person to sit down. And then if somebody forgot to catch up, I got to get up and go get to catch up. I'm everybody's slave. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, he's, he's connecting. He's reaching individuals in, in the way that he can connect with them. But he calls that being a slave to everybody. So what does that mean to say, I, I'm a slave to everybody? I'm, I'm a slave in Christ. I'm a slave for the sake of the gospel. Don't forget that. It is about reaching people for Christ. Yeah. It, it's a kind of analogy, but he don't mean it. Now, he means it, but what's he saying? Yeah, he has one purpose for his life and one purpose only, and is that to, to be well-liked, uh, to be accepted by people, to be a, a world-famous evangelist, maybe to write books of the Bible? No, it's the gospel, Sister Arena. It's the gospel. He lives for the gospel, and the gospel causes him to do a very funny thing. Even though he's free, in Christ, absolutely free. And even though there's nobody in the world who controls him or has that position, only God controls him. He has this, this lifestyle of giving up his rights, giving up his freedom for the sake of the gospel. Rick, was your hand up? Can you help us? Yeah, he's humble. Does this mean he has a self-esteem problem? No, it's a passion for the gospel that causes him to live this way. It is a dramatic and, and, and exciting passion for, for the gospel. He sets aside all of his own rights. And again, you need to read more of what Paul says. Uh, he's being criticized. He's being accused of taking advantage of the churches. He's being accused of being just one more money-grubbing preacher. And Paul here is trying to say, listen, if you recall, I've never taken up a love offering anywhere. I mean, this is what he has to say. Now, I could. I wouldn't be anything wrong if I did, he says. And, and, and there are preachers out there who take wives along. I don't even have a wife, he says. I, I'm a single man. I, I, I give up these rights. I could find myself a girl, Paul says, but, but, but I don't. All of these things that I could do, I just don't do because I live with one purpose, and that is to fulfill the gospel in my life and in the lives of others. I want to share in the gospel. He gives up all of his rights. He gives up all of his rights to a comfortable life. He gives up all of his uh, opinions and all of the things that would make his life a little more easy. Paul just gives that up for one purpose, and that is to win souls to Christ. Now, his life is not supposed to be all that different from ours. We have to live the same way. What this means is every relationship in your life has one foundation, one thing that, that shapes it, and it is the gospel. 
It's the gospel. Everything is about the gospel. Whether we're talking about your marriage, whether we're talking about your relationship with your own parents, it's always about the gospel. It's the gospel. And this is what Paul says. In every single relationship, the most important thing is is the gospel. And so that means I can go a long way to meet you. I can go a long way in order to be able to win you to Christ. You understand that? And so, truly, in in Paul's life, he doesn't approach people from a position of his needing them. He doesn't need people to approve of him. He doesn't need people to like his preaching, and honestly, apparently, very few did. In Paul's day, they said, you know, he writes good letters, but he can't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, that's what they used to say about him. But that doesn't matter to him. What they say doesn't matter. Uh, What anybody says, what anybody thinks, it's beside the point. Paul lives out of the strength and passion for the gospel. He's not living for their approval. So he's not approaching people based on what he needs from them. He doesn't need them at all. Everything that he needs is found in Christ, and that is exactly why he can love them so deeply. Understand? You can't approach people in order to get out of them what you need and call that love. That's not love. But that's exactly how a lot of people live. They enter into relationships, but honestly, it's always about them. It's about how you make me feel. It's about how you make me secure. It's about how you complete me. It's about how you could always be there for me. It's about how you can always be there to keep me warm at night. It's how you can be there to give me a ride to the store. I mean, it's always about what you can do for me. And most people, the relationships are self-centered like that. When it comes right down to it, they are in a relationship. They may call it love, but they're in it just to get what they can from people. They're using people, and many of us, we use people. We don't think that's what we're doing, but in every relationship, we're always focused on what we need from the person, what they can give us. This isn't Paul, and it's not love. Love always approaches the other person not based on what I can get from you, but based on what I can give to you. It is about need, but not my needs. It's about the needs of the other person. Understand? And I can do that from a position of strength. I can focus on your needs because my needs are met in Christ. And everybody you need has one need. Everybody you can name, everybody on planet Earth, there is one thing they need more than anything else, no matter what it is they think they need. No matter what it is they come to you asking for. Their greatest need is the need for... For the gospel, it's for Christ. They need salvation. They need grace. They need forgiveness. They need to repair the relationship of God in their life. They need the gospel. Everybody's greatest need is for the gospel. Paul knows this. That's why in every situation, every person he meets, his goal, his aim is to give them the gospel. Very different, very different kind of way of being in the world. So understand, when he comes into a a position, when he enters into a situation with a particular group of people, he's not there for his reasons, he's there for their reasons, and their reason, their greatest need is for Christ, it's for the gospel. So Paul is going to go as far as he can, as far as he can to show his love to these people, as far as he can to, to put no obstacle, nothing between these people and the gospel. And that's why he says, when, when I'm with Jews, I can become like a Jew. 
He's not saying that, that he's being false. He's not being inconsistent. He is utterly consistent in that his passion for the gospel determines everything. You're going to know where Paul's going to be. You're going to know what he's going to do because the gospel defines him. It defines him. So when he goes to one group, he can become as much like them as he needs to. And he's never going to offend the gospel. He's never going to in any way contradict his witness for Christ. But understand a whole lot of things that people care about don't have much to do with the gospel. It's just stuff. Jews and Gentiles and the differences between them. Paul says, I can go from one group to the next because it's the gospel that matters, not how Jewish you are or how Gentile you are. I'm in a very interesting situation right now. I am about to perform in the month of March a wedding for two Muslims, a Muslim man and a woman. Okay, the question we're all asking, including me, is why is a Baptist preacher doing a wedding for two Muslims? They asked me. They asked me. Now, why would I do that? Why would I do it? Well, the gospel. The, the gospel. I don't know why they asked a Baptist preacher. They know I'm a Baptist preacher. That they know. And I've told them. I've warned them. I said, now, I'm a Christian pastor. And I don't want to offend you or your family. But the wedding that I perform is going to be a Christian wedding. All of the prayers are going to be Christian prayers. Are you going to be okay with that? They say, oh, we love. We love your prayers. And then they ask me, are you going to be okay with the sugar shower? And I just politely say, explain sugar shower. <laughs> in, a, in a Persian wedding, the bride and groom, as they're saying their vows, they get under a, a piece of fabric called the canopy. And the wedding party, the bridesmaids, they sprinkle sugar on top of their heads as a sign of blessings coming down from God. Are you okay with the sugar shower? Yeah, yeah. Throw a little on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's strange to me, never had a sugar shower, um, but I have no problem with that. I mean, you know, throw the sugar everywhere. I, I mean, just do. It's about the gospel. Uh, have an opportunity to talk to a, a Muslim man who lives in Tucson, Arizona, doesn't know Christ. He is so stressed out right now. His name is Omid. Pray for him. He is so stressed out, so anxious about his wedding, so ready, very, very ready to marry this woman, but um, sort of an empty-hearted guy. I love him. He needs Christ. Now, I could say, no, I'm a Christian pastor. I don't do Muslim weddings. I, I could have said that, but, but then I never get to know Omid and, and Mana. They are two wonderful, beautiful souls for whom Christ died. They want what you and I want in life. They, they want to know how to love each other and make promises that they can keep until life. And one way or the other, they want to know how to get sweet things to, to rain down from heaven on their heads. But they don't know where you find blessings from heaven. I don't care what I have to do. I, I want to see Mana and Omid come to know Christ. You know, Josh and Katie, sitting in the second row, you, you know what they've done. They have given up their rights, like Paul says, for the sake of the gospel. You know, Josh and Katie lived in Franklin, you know, which is, you know, like the Garden of Eden. 
They lived in, in Franklin on a beautiful farm where they could raise a garden, and, and, the, and they're very, very passionate gardeners. They love that. But you know what they've done? They gave all of that up. Who does that? Who does that? A, a young couple getting started in their marriage, started out in life, who, who does what they've done? They, they left their comfortable house and garden, and they moved to Lost Circle. Lost Circle. Nothing grows there. Uh, it is a place where a lot of people live and they don't know Christ. You understand? This is what Paul is saying. You, you just do what is necessary. You, you give up whatever it is that, that, that you think you need because you don't really need anything but the gospel. And so if you sell your house or if you have to take the next mission trip or whatever you have to do for the sake of the gospel, you're free to do that. What Paul says, I'm just free. Nobody makes me do these things. Nobody can twist my arm. I, I'm not beholden to anybody, but, but I will go an awful long way for anybody. You just name them. I'll go as far as I can to know them, to love them, for the sake of winning them to Christ. It's an amazing, amazing way to live. It brings me just to one last thought, and, and this is just uh, to those of you who are church people. You're Sunday night crowd, so you're probably more or less church people. Um, I just want to challenge you in your life to get to know some lost people. We need to focus our lives on lost people. Now, I, I love coming to church just like you do, and I love everything we can do, and I love every potluck, and I love every prayer meeting. Every time the door is open, I, I am here. And I don't plan to change those habits, but, but understand, I have neighbors. I have neighbors that I don't know. And you have neighbors that you don't know. And there's something wrong with our lives, something wrong with our lives when we become very focused on Christians. We become focused on ourselves. We become focused on the church. And we forget that there is a world out there. What Paul is describing means that we focus on lost people more than we focused on saved people. Why is that? Because their need is greater. Their need is greater. I go to people with great needs because I have the gospel, which means I have the supply of everything I need and everything the world needs. I go from a position of strength. God is big in my life. You understand? So I go, I must go to the people whose need is greater, and that would be the lost. As a church, like most churches, we become a little bit too focused on ourselves. We want everything at church to please us. We want everything at church to be about us and our families. And we, we want all of our uh, members of our family to have their needs met. And, and we want to be fed and, and on and on and on. But do you understand how when we become that way, we're not living the way Paul said? We focus on those whose need is greatest, and that will be those who do not know Christ. As a church, let us not turn inward on ourselves. Let us always turn outward toward a world that desperately needs to know that there is a great big God who will supply everything they need. Any final thoughts? Anything? Let's stand together and pray. I love you all so much. I, I, I truly do. 
Let's pray together. God, I pray for Omid. He doesn't know you. I pray, Lord, that in the context of knowing me, he may learn to know you. God, help me to focus on his need for the gospel. Help me to forget about, Lord, my own fear of being embarrassed or entering into awkward conversations. God, in this house tonight, we all know the gospel. We have the gospel. We know the forgiveness and grace and beauty that comes from knowing you. But, Lord, we live in a world that doesn't know. Forgive us, God, for just going out into the world every day and seeing what we can get from people. Forgive us, Lord, for just going out and, and making money. Just going out, Lord, and trying to make friends, just to make ourselves somehow bigger, better. Lord, I pray that we would be very comfortable becoming very small before you. I pray, Lord, that in our lives, other people could become smaller so that you, O oh God, can be greatest and biggest and you would have our highest affection and our deepest allegiance. Lord Jesus, we sung tonight prayers that you would make us a blessing, a channel of blessing, Lord, all that we're asking is that we could become nothing so that you might be everything and that you might flow through us, Lord, your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, there's nothing about us that makes us worthy of being used in this way, Lord, but we simply know that you choose to make us and see us with the righteousness of Christ. You give us right standing, as Matt preached this morning. Oh, God, help us to understand who you are and, and what you've done for us so that we can fear you serve you. Lord Jesus, we're about to say amen and leave this place. Help us, Lord, to leave this place and go out into the world and meet people and love people. Help us, Lord, to become burdened for our neighbors, our family members. Help us, Lord, to care more about the gospel than we care about our comfort. Whatever we must give up, whatever we must leave, whatever rights we must set aside, Lord Jesus, we are free and mastered by no one other than you, precious Lord. But we will make ourselves servants of the world that by your grace and mercy, we might win them for the sake of the gospel. And in the name of Jesus, we pray these things.